Good evening, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for coming on time. And I know there were some of you who come earlier. Uh, so this format of Mio Bible Study is a bit slightly different. Uh, so I got you all to sit on tables because there will be some... Uh, I mean, in order to fully benefit uh, from this Bible study, I'll be getting you all to do some writing, some looking at the verses, trying to link the different verses uh, together. Uh, so that's the reason why you all sit on tables. Uh, I'm not going to make you discuss with one another if you're not comfortable, so don't worry. But the main thing is that it's important to be seated on the table so that you all can uh, write down notes and also try to see how the verses are linked together. They'll be better. Uh, so later, I'll give you a hard, print, hard copy printout of the two chapters I printed for you all. But if you all don't need, uh, then you all can don't take. So I basically printed about 30 copies uh, for those who want. If you all want to see the whole passage, uh, and to do some annotation, that will be helpful. Uh. But if you have your own hard copy Bible, you want to do some scribbling on the hard copy Bible, uh, that's fine as well. If you need some uh, paper to write down your notes, or I have some paper, you can uh, later come. If you need any, anyone need any paper, or you're okay on your own, or okay, I'll just pass down the. I'll just pass down. Then y'all can just help me. Uh, those for those who need, because I didn't take a lot. I assume that y'all will bring your own uh, paper. Okay, so this is the Bible, Bible printout. Uh, if y'all don't need, no need to take. Y'all can use your own Bible. But if you need a Bible printout, y'all can uh, take. Uh, it's, uh, for those who need bigger, bigger print. Uh. Uh, bigger, bigger, bigger size. Uh, oh. So those who need, uh, don't need, y'all don't need to take. Yeah. If y'all need more, Amy will help me print out later. Uh, 38. Yeah, but I think plus minus, some people come, some people uh, don't come. So don't worry, just get settled down. I'll hand pass you the slide later. But I worry, I'll pass you a slide now. You'll start reading and look through. Right? Yeah, so don't worry. I'll pass you the slide. And my assurance for you is that you'll just pay attention. And then as you're right, if you have any question, we can talk more later or in the next session. So don't worry about, well, I must copy down everything. Actually, a lot of the information can be found online, can be found on books. Uh, but most important thing is what is God speaking to you today. So don't worry about all the information. Later I can tell you more after the class. Or I, give, I can also give you my script or something like that. So don't worry about the information. Okay? If you all need more handout, don't worry. Amy helped to print. That's enough. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay, just give you some time. Okay, to settle down. Thank you so much. Uh, so you will notice that there's temperature taking just to ensure that we are taking safety precautions. Uh, later we will also will do some contact tracing. So just now uh, Amy was passing around the uh, contact form. Uh, later we will also get you all to write down the names of who's sitting on your table so that we know who is at which table. And Amy will be taking photo later as well, also for publicity matters and also for uh, contact tracing matters. Also. So she'll be taking photo, so don't worry, okay? Maybe also see whether you're paying attention. Huh? Then she take photo. Okay, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Don't worry, don't worry. We won't bottle you if you are sleeping, don't worry. <laughs> I know everyone's very tired, yeah, so don't worry. Okay, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this wonderful evening. We pray and ask, Lord, that you continue to help us to set our eyes upon you. Help us all to settle down our heart and be open to what the Spirit is leading us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me see my thing. Click. Click us here. Okay, so, alright. 
so the reason why I choose the book of Haggai, actually the book of Haggai is something very new to me. Uh, I only realized it last year, so I think God was speaking to me through the book of Haggai, uh, really the importance for us to hear this message. So that's a, that's a short, a long story cut short of why I choose the book of Haggai as well. Uh, and I think the most important thing is not so much about the information that we learn today, though that's a key part of it, but it's what is God speaking to us, and we hear His Word, and how are we obeying His Word. So maybe uh, my key point for you is, what is God speaking to you today? And at the end of this session, I hope that there will be some key takeaways that God is leading you to take that step. So don't worry if you cannot remember everything that was being spoken today. Most important things at the end, uh, what is God uh, asking you to do today? So that's the most important thing. Not only information, uh, but transformation uh, as well. So I'm just going to give a very brief uh, guideline. So uh, for Old Testament prophecy, there's basically two types of prophecy, uh, the deactic and the predictive. Uh, so one thing to note is that for the first one, the prophecy is basically about giving some teaching or some instruction. Uh, this is where uh, God is giving his people some moral or theological truths for the people uh, to understand. So usually this kind of prophecy is speak, spoken in the present tense about current situation. So most of the time we talk about prophecy, is, uh, when we think about prophecy, it's, always, it's mostly related to the second part. But we often do not realize that the first part is also very important. It's truth that is spoken to believe now, now. So some people describe it as a fourth, fourth telling, speaking out towards a current situation. So that's fourth uh, telling. So the second one is predictive. So it's basically talking about the future. Uh, it's usually a promise of a blessing to come or judgment. Most of us remember the judgment. Oh, no, God is going to judge you, blah, blah, blah. blah. So that's predictive uh, prophecy. So it, described, uh, it is described as four telling speaking of things uh, yet to come. So these are just very general principles. Most of us are probably more familiar with the second one. We always want to know what's the future, what's going to happen, uh, but we also often uh, may not know the first test. Yeah, so I thought it's important for us to know these two uh, big types of prophecy. And usually most of uh, the predictive prophecy, actually most of them has already been fulfilled. Uh, and I think it's important to know uh, the first part as well, which we will, I'll take you through uh, later as well. So historical context, so when we look at uh, books like Haggai, it's important to know the historical context of what's happening. Because you may read the two chapters, but you may not know entirely what's happening if you don't read the other books. So like what I'll share with you later, if you read uh, Extra, Extra, chapter 1 to 6, it will give you the context of what is happening in the book of Haggai. So historical context means it's important to know the history before and after the message has been spoken and also to know what's happening during uh, the, uh, the context of the message being spoken and it's also important to know who's the author and who's the prophet. And also if, if you can find the timing uh, sometimes it's, uh, so especially for the book of Haggai, there's a lot of timing that's written in it. So take note of the timing as well. So that will help you know which other books to read in order to understand the historical context. Uh, so in terms of uh, language, it's also important to know. I think a fascinating I have covered before in his uh, Old Testament when he teached the book of Psalms, uh, Hebrew parallelism, and also to understand the figurative 
or you can say picture language. So many a times, uh, the author will try to use uh, Hebrew parallelism to try to emphasize a point. So he can use uh, similarities, or he can try to use contrast, or he can try to use progressive ideas in order to emphasize a point. So that's the beauty of the language. Uh, not just saying a point, but using parallelism to emphasize a point, which you will see later in the book of Haggai. I'm just giving you some big backgrounds for us to understand. So as you look at the book of Haggai uh, later, I want you all to look out for the type of prophecies that are being spoken. So inside the book of Haggai, there's actually a mixture of both. A uh, mixture of talking about the future and also talking about current situation. Also look out at what is the historical context. Uh, to know the historical context, uh, look at the timing. So there's actually, I give you a very big clue, there's early timings that are being mentioned in the book of Haggai. And look out at some of the Hebrew parallelism, or if, if it's too cheap, look at some of the figurative language or the picture language that is being spoken in the book of Haggai. Okay, so I just give you all some uh, personal homework right now to help you all. Uh, the book very short, la, two chapters, actually quite straightforward. Uh, so I just give you all the next 10 minutes to read through the book of Haggai uh, at least two, three times. Uh, take note for the following. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you all to each group present, so don't waste more for you all. So take the next 10 minutes to read the book of Haggai and ask yourself uh, these few questions. Okay, so if you all have the Bible, that will uh, be good. Don't just read one time, read two or three times uh, to help you all. Okay, let's come back. So how y'all? Y'all y'all look okay, good. Is it I mean not enough time, but is it I mean do y'all notice some parallelism, uh, some dates? Right, I think quite uh, do you know who is it being written to? There are names that are being mentioned. Do y'all, do y'all, do y'all saw that as well? Okay. Okay. Y'all, y'all, y'all okay. The uh, not not is it very hard? Uh, don't worry, I will I will explain a bit more. So as you all know, uh, who's, uh, Haggai is the title and also the author as well. He's the person who's speaking the prophecy. Uh, so there's not much that's being known about this person. Uh, the meaning of Haggai is basically the festive, festal one. Uh, it's suggested that Haggai was probably born on one of the um, feast, feast days. But actually little is very known about him. Other than the book of Haggai, his name is mentioned nine, around nine times in the book. Uh, the only other mention of him is in the book of Ezra. So these passages doesn't give us a lot of information uh, about Haggai. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot there's the slides there. Yep. So uh, if you want to also read up more, also, the other book to read is also the book of Zechariah because uh, they were ministering together around the same period of time as well. Uh, but Zechariah, the book, uh, a bit longer. La, so I, I think I just decided to just do both Haggai. La, huh? Haggai, two chapters. Uh, Zechariah, a bit long. Maybe next time for the, any future speaker want to speak on the book of uh, Zechariah. Okay, so I'm not going to make y'all read six chapters. But if you're very quiet, very hardworking, want to know historical context, you will, uh, y'all can go back home and read the book of Ezra from chapter 1 uh, to 6. So basically, they were in captivity for 70 years. Um, so this captivity was really a judgment upon Israel. 
And I think uh, I'm not going to explain all the passages. You can go back home and read. Uh, these were the passages uh, that give you some insights about what happened, uh, why they actually uh, suffer this uh, punishment uh, from God. Yeah, so the verses are there. The notes, uh, in, um, the verses are in the notes. Uh, so uh, not to worry. Okay, I'll just move on. So basically, this was the first return. Uh, of the exiled people back into Israel. And this was the result. Uh, so if you cross-reference to Exodus chapter 1, uh, which I listed down there, you'll know uh, that through the proclamation of Cyrus the per- Persian, Israel was allowed to return under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, which are the two persons also listed in the book of Haggai as well. So there's some cross-referencing uh, from chapter 1 and chapter 3. Then in chapter 3, you will see that they began to rebuild uh, the temple in chapter 3 to chapter 4. And somewhere in the middle of chapter 4, there will basically some opposition from the neighbors, the Samaritans, and opposition that caused the work to be stopped. But at the same time, as you read the book of Haggai, you will realize that that's not only the reason uh, why the work was stopped. You look at the book of Haggai, you realize that actually uh, their priority was a, a bit lopsided after a while. So while it's true, that it's true that there were opposition, but that doesn't mean that their opposition means you must give up so easily. There was no mention about them trying to rebuild again. Basically, everyone just went back their normal life and forgotten about rebuilding uh, God's temple. So while the opponents who had some part to eat, the, they themselves also had a part to play because they did nothing about it. So sometimes it's really very easy to give up after a spiritual high. You may have went through a very high season, a time of blessing, wow, very happy, very excited for God. But facing some discouragement, some opposition, then you start to give up, and then you start to, oh yeah, so sien, and then you just let things uh, fly by and forget about what God actually uh, called you to do. So how can we overcome all of this? I hope that, I think some of us may be able to relate. Uh, I believe that all of us are here today because you already have uh, obedience to God. You already want to listen to God's word. So I hope that today's message will really speak to you all about how can we overcome uh, some aspect of our life where there may be half-hearted uh, obedience. So at the at the end of, so basically I told you that they returned, right, the first uh, return. So it's only at the end of 16 years of their return that this is where the book starts. 16 years, they return, they work already, they build the foundation, opposition, give up. So from the start, from the first return, 16 years, that's where the book of Haggai comes in. And 16 years is really quite a long while. Uh, so the book of Haggai is meant to stir the people up uh, to realign their priorities to build the Lord's temple. So this is just some timeline. I know it's a bit factual, too much information, but to give you a context, 16 years is really uh, quite a long time. So who are the audience in this book? Uh, so you will see that it's quite straightforward. They actually, in the, in the prophecy, uh, they all list out who are the audience. right? So you all ref- uh, refer together with me. So in chapter 1, you can see... Where's my passage? Is it here? Yeah, so in chapter 1, y'all can, uh, verse 1, you can see uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, right? So 
Then the second one in chapter 2, verse 1, same, same one again. But then there's a mention of a third party, which is a remnant of the people. Then the third one in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, is mentioned, ask the priest. Fourth one is only for Zerubbabel. And obviously, this book is not just only for them, but also for the larger audience as well, the exile community uh, out there as well. So this is just to take note. Uh, when we look at books, you look at who is the book written for. Uh, who the book is written for will tell us the implication of the message uh, for us. Okay, I just go through very quickly. Uh, so I think as we read this book, I think uh, sometimes we may be quick to assume that ah yeah, they all were very disobedient nah. they all ah yeah, disobedience anytime like that. Why anytime disobey God, disobey God? I'm not like that, you know. If I were living in the time of of them, I won't be like that. So perhaps uh, some of us may be thinking uh, that way. But I want to offer y'all something a bit different. I would in fact say that they were quite faithful to some extent, if I could use the word, because they chose to return from uh, exile, Babylon, coming back to take part in the work. So they already, I mean, you know, living 70 years in captivity, they already quite, you know, I, won't, I mean, they were quite okay there, then you suddenly ask them to come back. Uh, it means that they actually take a step of faith to want to come back to take part in the work, in the work of rebuilding a temple. So I would say they're not totally bad, bad. I mean, they don't have a scale, but they definitely had some uh, faith at the beginning to want to start the Lord's work. But then it was somehow halfway that they got discouraged uh, that they stopped the work. And I believe that uh, a lot of us here today are also faithful Christians, uh, decided to come here today, serving the Lord in different areas, but that doesn't make us immune for discouragement. That doesn't make us immune uh, at times where we really fall away from God. So perhaps some of us may be in this category uh, where you are serving a lot, but at times may have uh, become half-hearted. So the reason why I'm saying this is to help us see in our perspective uh, of the people who are part of this work as well. So of course, I think uh, in our life, there are many uh, reasons for us for not obeying what God may have told us to do. Uh, there are many reasons why uh, we may not choose to do certain things. Uh, maybe our soul leaders ask us to serve here, ask us to sign up for Bible study, ask us to do this, but we come up with reasons, and some of them are really very valid. And I think one of the more common reasons or excuses is, ah yeah, I can wait until much, much later, then I start serving God. Uh, now I'm very busy, uh, just serve God later, there's so much time out there. So I was just thinking about, actually when we think about the so-called life, right? So let's say if you're a student, Say so, so a student, you are studying, okay, I need to score ace my exam so that I can get a good job next time. That's what my parents always tell me, I need to study hard, work hard, get A, so I can go to good course, uh, get a good high earning pay, uh, earning pay in my job. Then when you start working, then, ah, yeah, okay, I need to start a good career. I need to build a good foundation in my career. I need to spend more time. Uh, my boss asked me to do a lot of work. I need, there's a high learning, steep learning curve. I need to work harder and harder. Then after that, you get married. So, ah, yeah, married. La. I need to uh, please my spouse. I need to earn money to buy a house. Singapore housing is very expensive. I need to save money to 
uh, have a wedding or oh, banquet now this is very expensive la. ring also expensive la. everything very expensive la. so I need to work hard and most of the time uh, ironically most people okay or people may spend a lot of time for the wedding but not prepare for marriage so that's a, a side point I was just thinking about it yeah I mean I'm not married so I don't may not fully understand yeah <laughs> now, after that you marry already then you got kids Ayah, wow, Singapore education system very jala, very stress. Ah. I need to drew my children more tuition, more enrichment class. I need to send them uh, for more studies. Uh, that be. After that, children grow up, teenage problems. So you, you get the drift of saying, basically, there's no good time to start serving the Lord. There will always be reasons, there will always be uh, difficulties in our life. And I'm not saying that these are not valid. You know, These circumstances that we go through are valid. But I don't want it to become an excuse for us not to serve the Lord if the Lord has called us to do something about it. And at the same time, I feel another thing that I was just reflecting about is that we have a misunderstanding that being a Christian means going to heaven. Being a Christian is actually living the life now. The abundant life starts today. It's not like, oh, okay, I... Uh, wait until uh, uh, heaven. It starts today. The abundant life uh, starts today. And I was just praying about what analogy to give you all uh, to help you understand better. Is that life is like a marathon. So most of you all will have heard that life is a marathon. Uh, I mean, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. But another thing that I would like to add on, it may not be a perfect analogy. Analogies are not perfect to understand the Christian life. Uh, is that... It's not just only a marathon, but you're running a marathon on the treadmill. So the moment you start, stop running, you will fall back already. Because the, dis, the discouragement of life, the temptation of this world, if you stop actively growing your faith, you actually go back. So to me, to me, my own personal opinion, there's no such thing as stagnation. Because once you stop growing, you're going backwards already. But of course, that's my own personal opinion. So we must always be actively taking steps to grow in our faith. And as shared by many with the recent COVID virus, I think this book is really a good book for us to really examine our lives and to push us to examine our own priorities in life. I think many of us may have heard the advice, you know, wash your hand, take your temperature, don't travel. And of course, these are very good advice. Uh, I'm not saying they're not good. These are very good precautions to take. But only, my only concern is that uh, at the expense of worrying so much about staying alive, have we um, missed out on living the life that God wants us to, to live? Are we living for what is truly right? So we may actually be alive, but are we staying alive to the purposes of God? So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if we don't take precaution, but we can be so overwhelmed by all the precautions, that, uh, very, uh, very uh, overwhelmed by fear, that we forget the fear of the Lord. So don't get me wrong, it's not that we don't take precaution, but are we also living the life that God has called us uh, to live as well? So Jesus says that for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Are we truly living for what really matters? And I think it's really in the time of danger and fear, like how as a church we ask ourselves what is important. Same for us as well. In the time of all this fear and danger, our priorities start coming up. First we realize, hey, what's actually important? 
And I think it's true. When these priorities come out, then we really ask ourselves, uh, what is really important? Okay, so now uh, y'all can, can look at the slides. Don't worry. Actually, there's not a lot of answers in the slides. It's actually just Bible passages. Uh, but I want to take y'all through uh, step by step. Okay, so we we'll, so I'm going so it's basically just verse by verse, uh, okay. Okay, so verse one, like I have mentioned to you shows you all the timing. So verse one, you look there's a timing, the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month. So that's the timing. See, you see the timing uh, right there as well. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. And who was it spoken to? Zerubbabel and Joshua. So those were the two recipients for the specific message. And basically, both of them play a very important role. Zerubbabel basically represents the, 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 the David line and he represents the community. And then Joshua is the high priest. So together, they are basically the representative of the community and through the partnership, Haggai uh, is so-called like authorized through the Lord, uh, this rebuilding project. And at the same time, you can see the emphasis here is that the word of the Lord. So this is, def- this is the word of the Lord spoken through Haggai. So it shows that the prophecy is from God. So verse 1 already establishes that this is from God. It already establishes who is this being written for. And then you also take notice that in verse 2, it's mentioned Lord Almighty. And if you look at the verses or the chapters below, you realize that this word is being used repeatedly. So sometimes when you read New Testament letters, also do take note uh, how... Uh, God or Jesus is being described. If you look at a lot of the Paul's epistle letter, you realize that uh, the description is not always the same. So do take note of that. So the God is described as the Lord Almighty. And you can see that it's basically trying to emphasize that God is really very powerful and you will know why he's described in this way later on. Of course, you can describe God in a lot of ways. I mean, you can describe God as gracious, forgiving, long list. There's a lot of long list. But there's emphasis here why he's described as the Lord uh, Almighty. Okay, so I want you to take a look at verse 2, 3, 4. If I'm going too fast, just raise your hand. Uh, so I just give you some time on your own to read verse 2 to 4 before I talk. So verse 2 is basically what the people are thinking. So the Lord knows what we're thinking. And verse 2 is basically God trying to say what is actually on the people's mind. So he says that these people say the time has not yet come to build the house. So this is what the people are thinking about. Just the Lord saying it. Then verse 3 is basically uh, the response. In verse 4, it says that, Is it time for you yourself to be living in your penitent houses while this house remains a ruin? So he, Haggai basically is like, how say, he doesn't, I mean, he could have just said, Hey, build the house, lah. go and build the house, lah, right? I mean, that's quite straightforward, right? 
just go and build the house. But basically, he uses this rhetorical method to try to make them think. Like, oh, you know, how could you be living in your panelled houses while my house remains in ruin? So panel house is basically can be translated as roof. So it's, uh, in some sense, it's quite a luxurious. So while the temple is in ruins, the people are living in luxurious houses. And Haggai is very deliberate in using the word house. It is meant to remind them of the time of Solomon and David. So if you all recall back in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, David actually felt very guilty that he didn't build a house for the Lord. He had his own house, but God doesn't have the house in, 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 in simple terms. And he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. But then, you know, David actually, I'm sorry, now David actually commissioned his son Solomon uh, to build the house. And then Solomon actually built the temple of the Lord before he built his own palace. So basically you can see that both David and Solomon's priorities was to build the house uh, for the Lord. So if David could feel guilty uh, for having a house before building God's temple, and if Solomon built God's temple before building his uh, own palace, then how then could they be like that? So basically Hagar is trying to remind them about their priorities. If David and Solomon could sort out their priorities, how about them? He's trying to remind them when he used the word house. I mean, he could have just said temple, but he uses the word house to try to remind them. It's like an allusion to what happened in the past. And they will probably remember, because, I mean, the, the, the temple was, very, uh, it was a very big thing. So you may sometimes think, ah, yeah, we, we, we can procrastinate. But God actually knows our hearts. Even though, we may, even though uh, they may say, ah, yeah, the time has not, not yet come, but God actually knows their true motives. They were actually procrastinating. Their priorities were not put right. And Satan likes to use this strategy to make us procrastinate, make us delay. It's okay if we continue going on with life. Just delay, la, just delay, la. just delay obeying God. So C.S. Lewis, okay, I think I didn't put it here. Sorry, let me read it here. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters uh, so if you want to understand how uh, temptation works and how to overcome it, you can read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. So there's a dialogue here. I'll read out for you. Basically, it's like a group of demons trying to describe like strategy. You know, we always think we got strategy. They also got strategy as well. So, uh, so they are discussing this strategy. Uh, okay, so let me read for you. We will make them think there's no such thing as God, one suggested. Satan disagreed. No, they think we are real. They think he's real. Besides, they want him to be real. They need him to get them through the hard times. So him basically refers to God. So another demon said, just make them think that he's an impersonal God, like he's some energy force or something. No, they want him to be personal. If he wasn't, they make it up. What about showing everyone else that all his people are hypocrites? Another suggestion. So you realize that actually all this quotation here, they are trying to allude to something. Uh, they are saying Christians are hypocrites. Then they say that hypocrisy is not fruitful because hypocrisy will be revealed for what it is. That wouldn't last too long. 
Finally, one of the young demons said, just tell them they have all the time in the world to decide. Tell them it's not that important. Tell them to wait another day. Tell them to wait another day. So one of Satan's strategy, and of course it's just a story, but it's trying to make a point through the story, that one of Satan's strategy is to make people delay. Because it's a very simple excuse. So for all of us, is there something that God is calling us to, to do today, but we're actually delaying just because we think that we're, there's a lot of time. But what, like what I mentioned earlier on, a Christian life is like a marathon, a treadmill. If we stop growing in our faith, we may actually fall backwards. So as we look at the next verse, uh, verse 5 to 7, you realize that there's actually uh, two common words, two, sorry, two common phrases. It's also actually repeated in chapter 2 as well. The common phrase is basically give careful thoughts to your way. So verse 5 and verse 7 repeats it. Give careful thoughts to your ways. After, so I mentioned earlier that this is like a rhetorical question that God is speaking to his people. And now they are asked to consider their ways, to reflect. Verse 6 basically gives us the pattern of what God is trying to speak to them. So as you can see from verse 6, it's basically a counterproductive pattern. So verse 6 says that you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have, have enough. Quite strange, I right? Eat, but never have enough. So strange. I mean, you eat, you get full, but they say have never enough. Yeah. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, earn money, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So of course, I mean, he's not saying that you have a purse with hole, but basically he's trying to use an imagery to say that actually you are somehow, even though you're earning a lot of money, but you're losing them. And Haggai doesn't describe why, but it's basically trying to tell them the harder you work, it's actually counterproductive. Something is happening. Why am I planting, eating, drinking, but not being satisfied with all of this? Something is wrong. And basically, if you were a Jew who knew your laws well, you will know that this is also alluding to the blessing and curses in the covenant. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, there's actually a long list of blessings and curses. So if you are them, you will, they will actually know about it. And it's basically trying to remind the people about their covenantal relationship with God. So for us, we may we always say work hard, produce more, right? But for them, because they disobey God, work hard actually produces less, less for them. God is basically showing that if you don't obey me, uh, you are being punished. I'm disciplining you so that you will return back to me and all your efforts are futile. And likewise for us, perhaps in our own life, God is also using um, this to discipline us, to ask us to, to return back to Him. The harder we work, but if we are not working hard according to God's way, we will fall back. So as you can see so far, Haggai has never been very direct. Haggai always used question, use this uh, parallelism, but never really say, hey, you better build the house of God. So this is like a build up. 
Then in verse 8 comes that strong message. So this is the first time that Haggai drives in the message in verse 8. And it's, I mean, if you read it, it's quite fierce. I mean, like, uh, I mean, for us, when we read the Bible, we read like, oh, go up into the mountain, bring down. But it's actually supposed to be spoken with much force. Like, go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. So you can see there's actually progression. I mean, you can, I mean, if I was Haggai, I'll just say, go and build the house, Lord. I don't need to say so many different words, right? But it's basically a progression. Go up, bring down timber, and build my house. So there's a progression there. Go, bring, build. So Haggai is trying to emphasize the urgency of building the house of the Lord. And God is not basically saying that you can't build your own house. But it's basically that they didn't prioritize the house of the Lord. They actually built their own house first and didn't care about the house of the Lord. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And this reveals where their heart was. And then in verse 8, it basically explains the reason why God wants them to build the house? Is it God no house to stay? Like, oh, I need to build a house for God. Like, okay, you need the house, uh, stay here. As we all know, God doesn't uh, need a house. But then, you see verse 8, it says that the main reason is that God may take pleasure in it and be honored. So the main purpose is not that God needs a house, but building a house represents that they wanted to honor God. They wanted to glorify God. And it's the glory of God that was at stake, in the sense that the people didn't care about glorifying God. So don't. So I repeat again, it's not that God needs a house, uh, God doesn't need a house, but it's about the people's attitude uh, towards the glory uh, of God. So likewise for us, as we, so for us, uh, building a temple is not very significant for us, but for us, all of us, we made up, we are part of the temple. Christ is the cornerstone, Christ is the foundation, but we are being built up into his temple. We are, that's why there's the analogy of we being the body of Christ, Christ is the head and the foundation. So all of us are made up of the temple. We are supposed to build one another up, grow in maturity uh, with one another. So we are now the temple of the Lord. We are now having the sacredness of the Holy Spirit residing in us. So that's very important. I want us to understand, even though we don't have the physical building, but all of us now made up the temple of the Lord. So likewise, so even though we don't have a physical temple to build, we are supposed to build one another up. We are supposed to build one another up in the faith. There's so many verses that I can share with you. I don't have time to read all, all of them. Like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, talks about each of us playing his part. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how we are all made out of God's temple. And Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 talks about how we are supposed to make disciples of all nations. So our role now is not build a physical temple. Our role now is to build one another up in the faith and to go out there and make disciples. So for us, the, sin, the analogy will be have we, build, have we been building our own careers? Have we been building our own hobbies? Or have you been building the, the body of Christ? 
and the ultimate purpose is not for blessing. So I hope that we don't read this and then get the message that, oh, okay, as long as I do this, I'll get a more blessing. The ultimate purpose is for the glory of the Lord. That's why I emphasize verse 8. It's about God being, uh, God being glorified in it. That's the main purpose, purpose of it. Okay, so okay, verse 9 to 11. Maybe, uh, maybe let's read it together. Can you all see? Let me make sure that you are all uh, still awake. Yeah, okay, maybe I'll go behind. I like to walk around a bit sometimes. Okay, let's read it together. 3, 2, 1. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth is crops. A call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the green, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labors of your hand. So as you can see, uh, where's the keyword? Okay, so the keyword. Uh, so there's a question here in verse nine. Why? Right. There's a why. It's a question to make us think. And then in verse ten, there's the word therefore. So it's always good to look at connecting connecting words that will help us understand the flow of the message. Why? Therefore. So earlier on. Uh, Haggai wasn't that, how to say, Haggai didn't really state directly the reason why they are suffering. It's only, so I mentioned earlier, these are all rhetorical, it's making them think. But then verse 9 to 11 is more direct. He says that the reason why uh, is because my house is in the ruins, while each of you is busy with your own houses. So verse 9 to 11 is very direct. He explains in verse 9 when you gather, what you brought home, I blew away. So of course, blow away is not like, I mean, it's, it's, it's just trying to, it's not exactly God blow away, but it's basically trying to emphasize that God actually is the one who uh, made it go away. And then in verse 10, uh, it mentions that the sky withhold the dew and the earth is crops. And then in verse 11, it says that God has called for a drought. So while so on the human understanding, we would think that all these things are all through natural means. That all, I mean, all these are all based on nature. But God is saying that no, it's not because of nature. It's because of me. I'm the one who made all of this happen. I'm the one who caused you all this trouble because you have disobeyed me. So that's the emphasis. God is trying to say that I am the cause of all your troubles. So what can we learn today? So uh, people who read Haggai 1 will link it to Matthew 6, verse 33. Uh, maybe let's read it together. It's in the slides or you can see it together. Uh, 3, 2, 1. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So when we read this or when we read uh, the, the passage of Haggai, we may be quick to think, okay, so does it mean that if I uh, obey God, means I get more blessings? Is he trying to tell me uh, about the prosperity gospel? Is he trying to tell me about health and wealth? As long as I obey God, I get more blessings. 
in the New Testament, to just just summarize for us, when we talk about blessing, uh, the blessing that uh, is being referred to is actually uh, the spiritual blessing as God's people, as us, the redemptive people in Christ Jesus. So the blessing in that sense is the spiritual benefit and our, and our so-called reward is more towards the future uh, where we meet the Lord again. So that's the main blessing that I want to emphasize. Here. That's the main blessing that we should all be looking forward towards. If not, in the New Testament, you won't see, you won't see the disciples suffering for persecution if that was the blessing that they were actually looking for. So you must first clarify that the blessing they were looking for uh, is the spiritual blessing and our future inheritance with the Lord. So I think that's the main thing that I want to say first. But of course, this does not mean that God doesn't bless us now in the present with physical blessing. If we ask of it, God will still provide for our needs. But that doesn't mean if God doesn't provide for our physical blessing, means that God is punishing us. So that's the thing I want to emphasize first, that our blessing is a spiritual blessing of our future inheritance uh, with the Lord. And this promise is basically saying that God will as long as we are putting our priorities right towards the Lord, as long as we are seeking His kingdom, God will provide everything that we need. Let me say again, we need, not one. Everything that we need in order to accomplish His will. In order to build His kingdom. So it's what we need and the purpose is to build His kingdom. And that might even mean if God calls me to sacrifice my life for God's sake, then I will do it. You get what I'm trying to say? So basically, we may read this verse and say, okay, if I seek God's kingdom, God will give me anything I want. Okay, I want money, I want car, I want this. That's not what verse saying. But God is saying that if you put me first, everything that you need to accomplish what I want you to do, I will give you. I will empower you to do my work. So that's the main thing that you must get uh, as we read uh, this verse. So I think just to sh- share, uh, okay, I miss it, got time. Now. I always talk too much. Okay, yeah, got some time. Okay. Okay, so I think for me, this is a very short story. Uh, yeah, so I think for me, I I studied chemical. I'm not going to share too detailed. If not, well, then cannot end with this. So I, I studied chemical engineering uh, in uni. So I remember as I was preparing for this, I remember a time where I was in uh, my final year. Uh, I was basically serving very, very actively in church and in school, and also was quite busy with a uh, school work, just like any normal student. And you know, usually the year four is basically all the final year project, like design project, all kind of project. But I know that that I still wanted to commit my time to God. That I will still definitely study, work hard, and also continue to serve God in wherever He has called me. So I was still serving actively and still working hard. I hope I was still working hard, uh, <laughs> actively. And I remember praying to God that can you give me a place to stay in uni? Because right, uh, right then, I had quite a few n- night ministry in school. So staying in a, a hall would be very beneficial so that I don't go home so late. Uh, so I really wanted to stay in a hall. But at that time, I was on the waiting list. Uh, but then finally, as I was praying, I said, God, you know, I want this not, not just to make me, not about making me comfortable, but because I want to save time and do your work. And I, I, I think it was because of that posture of wanting to glorify God. I think God answered my prayer and gave me a place to stay uh, in the hall. So I was really very thankful for that because it really cut short the time by a lot. Imagine if I go home one hour plus and go to school one hour plus, it's actually like two hours plus 
uh, per day. Uh, so that really saves a lot of time. So I still also remember when I was doing my final year project, I was really very stressful because I really didn't, well, all these computer things, sometimes I also not very good at it also, like doing all the design project. So I was like really very stressed. I remember I was in a computer lab at 2 a.m., 1, 2 a.m. Yeah, I mean, you all know, uh, your, your, your kids also sometimes sleep late. Yeah, so same also, I also sleep quite late also. But then now different, I'm changed already. I don't sleep that late anymore. And that's last time, that's my past. Uh, so 1, 2 a.m., I was really very stressed out. I didn't know what to do. Uh, then one, then, then suddenly I was praying to God, asking help me. Then suddenly one person walk in. It was my friend's friend. Then I asked my friend, hey, how lah? How? Then he basically expert one like, He's like first class honor that kind of thing. So I was like, oh, how are you? Like, this first class honor guy is gonna help me. So basically he uh, gave me some suggestion. Not he didn't do my project. Let me clarify. He didn't do my project. <laughs> Later you think what? Did my project? Uh, but then he basically uh, offered me some suggestion. Then I was like, wow, really like, it's like that one. Uh. Then, okay, then I knew how to do a project. So, wow, I mean, these are small little things that God provided for me that really helped me uh, focus on Him alone. Still got time? Okay, you got time, right? So, I share one more story. So, you all know, usually uh, people, okay, I mean, uh, will say, if you choose to honor God, God will give me good results. So, I hear a lot of stories uh, about how. In the uh, peop- you know in the last semester maybe you are let's say third class honor then wow suddenly you become second honor right like your 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 GPA may be 3.4 some 3.4 then in the last semester wow become 3.5 or maybe in your last semester you were 4.3 something then wow it's last semester God give you all A then you get first class honor 4.5 oh glory be to God so I've heard all these stories. So let me share with you. I was also in a similar situation. I was asking God, okay, you know, like my GP, okay, I'm not going to tell my GP. My GPA was, <laughs> oh, later y'all, oh, I want to start comparing. Lah. Oh, okay, don't say, don't say, later y'all compare. Oh, later y'all think I both so, okay. Uh, so I'm not, not going to say. So my GPA was very close to that, you know, that changing uh, to the next class. So I was praying. So to me, I asked God, like, if you want to give me a next class, uh, that would be good. But if not, it's okay. I don't need. That the higher class, and at the end of the day, I mean, even though I say it like that lah, but then at the end of the day, when I didn't get the change in class, so actually my class remained. I was still at that borderline. I didn't went to the next next class. Some of my friends did, and I start asking God why, and I realized that God was actually teaching me that my obedience to God is not dependent on His blessing, because my reward is not my results, whether I get uh, and uh, up, uh, the next honor but it's dependent on I really want to love God. So God was teaching me that lesson. So there was a lesson for me that I want God as my reward and not uh, my grades. So there was a learning lesson uh, for me. Okay, okay. alright. Okay, we are very good. Uh, we are very, very, very attentive. Uh, okay, so verse 12 to 15 is actually the last part. Uh, so you can you notice that verse 1 talks about the date, right? Verse 1 talks about the date, I think. Okay, yeah, so verse 1 uh, talks about the date, right? I think I mentioned earlier. Then you see the next mention of the date is in verse 15 already. So verse 1, the date, verse 15, the date, basically shows that this is like one section that uh, Haga is trying to say the main message. Okay, sorry, I skip, skip. 
So do you notice the difference here in verse 12 comparing to verse 1? Verse 1 basically talks about Zerubbabel and Joshua. Same thing here. Verse 12 also mentions the same people. But then do you notice that there's a third party here? Uh, not Tisansa, I mean the third party in the sense that he mentioned the whole remnant of the people. The whole remnant of the people. Oh, Sunny got third party. Okay, so hold on the thought. So if you if you refer to your uh, uh, verse two, verse two, or what does verse two say? Verse two basically say these people, right? Verse two say these people. I think verse two says if I didn't remember wrongly, sorry, yeah. Huh? Verse two, I didn't put a slide. Verse two basically say these people. I mean, when you look at modern term, these people means like a bit negative. I say these people, these people, compared to now, God say the whole remnant of the people. So what I'm trying to say is there's basically a positive shift. And the whole and remnant, uh, and we are also the remnant because we are a chosen people. We are uh, the purified people of God, supposed to be sanctified, called out to be children of God. So we are also the remnant, and the remnant of the people is dependent on whether we are faithful uh, towards God. So I just want you all to note uh, that positive change because this is very crucial to see that they actually started to obey God uh, later on if you read. Okay, let me see. Okay, okay so maybe let's uh, read it together. Uh, verse 13 to 14. If you all can see, it's in the slides also. Okay, maybe let's read it together. 3, 2, 1. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheter, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. So you can see, they basically, I mean, in summary, is uh, they obey God, like, obey God. But there's basically some important things uh, to take note. Uh, so in verse, where am I? Okay. okay, sorry, I, I skipped this part. I need to explain this. I'm sorry. Um, so basically, you can see in verse 12, they basically obey the Lord, and the reason why they obey the Lord is because they fear the Lord. So in the last part, you see, I mean, you can just say, oh, they obey the Lord, Lord quite simple, quite straightforward, uh, but they also emphasize that the people fear the Lord. And not only just fearing the Lord, they also obey the voice of the Lord their God because they know that the message of Haggai is from God. So it's, it's the starting point is really the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord led them uh, to obey God. And the, another way to describe the fear, I mean, some people don't like the word fear, it's basically in awe and reverence of God. So if you ask me, the starting point is really our attitude first. Do we fear the Lord our God? And in response, how did uh, God motivate them? So in verse 13, it says that I am with you. And you realize throughout the Bible, God always assures the people of his presence. Joshua 1.9, uh, the verse that y'all were asked to memorize last year, Joshua 1.9, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, God promises uh, his presence. 
So it's always about the presence of God motivating us for His work. So you always see I'm with you throughout Old Testament, New Testament, because the presence of the Lord is, should, be what that we, should be what we want. And then in verse 14, you can see that uh, the Lord stir up the Spirit. So basically the Lord stir up all the Spirit. And you can see here, the, okay, so, let me slow down. Okay, so the Lord is the actor. The people are the object. Can we repeat again? The Lord, God, is the one who is acting, who is the one who is doing the action, and the people are the object of the action. So it's the Lord who is acting through the people to motivate them to work. The Lord is the actor. So sometimes, so you, you will notice that it's actually only after they started to obey God, then God assures them of, I mean, then God starts to say, I'm with you. Uh, and God started, started to work in them. So sometimes, what I'm trying to say is, sometimes you may not see what's going to happen. Sometimes God, yeah, I mean, through the Bible, we know that God has made us all these promises, but sometimes it's really us having to take that step first, then more of, then we will feel God's presence encouraging us to work. So sometimes it's really us taking the step of faith uh, to obey, obey God, and it's also really that awe and reverence, that fear of the Lord. Do we have the fear of the Lord with us? If we do not fear God, then our hearts are hardened. We won't obey. So the starting point that I'm trying to say here is they're asking us whether do we have the fear of the Lord. And I think the danger, uh, not just saying for y'all, but for all Christians, is that as you know, in, in Singapore, we are very privileged to have our Bibles. We have uh, very privileged to have online Bible, every kind of Bible, so many Bible study, hard copy Bible, we've got so many things. The danger is that we have become so accustomed to hearing, reading the Word of God, but not taking action. And the Word of God basically becomes like head knowledge. So let me repeat myself again. So it's very easy, right? If you keep hearing the Word of God, but then keep disobeying God, even though you hear, 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 our hearts will become more and more hardened. And eventually, it gets harder and harder uh, to obey God if you do not come back to Him. So that's the danger for us because we are very privileged to have the Bible. Not everyone uh, outside of the world has it. We're very privileged. So the temptation for us is that we can become so dull and accustomed to the Word of God that we become dull of hearing. So I think that's important for us uh, to take note Okay, I'm looking at my time, so I'm going to go through faster. So can you see the contrast between verse 1 and verse 15? Do you notice the timeline difference? Verse 1 and verse 15. It's about one month, 24 days. 24 days had lapsed. First day to 24th days. So the difference about uh, 24, uh, 24 days. So do you know that God's word is very powerful? Sometimes for us, we may think, okay, you no know, change takes time. So it's true that change takes time, and sometimes by the grace of God, change can happen instantly. So you can see here that in the span, in, in the time of 23 to 24 days, something big actually happened. From basically disobeying God, to now obeying God. And that's a very a big change. That's like a complete I want to say 360 degree, but it's actually wrong. It's basically a 180 degree uh, change to obey God. 
So you so ask ourselves, uh, if you if you really want to obey God, we don't have to be discouraged and say, Oh, it will take a very long time. It starts today. If you want to obey God, God will empower us with his presence and with you, and God will start in our spirits in order to accomplish his work. So it starts today. My main point is that it starts today. You don't delay anymore. Don't think, okay, it'll take a very long, long time. It starts today if you want to obey uh, God. Okay, so I think this video, uh, I think Pastor Anthony have shared a similar idea, the video before, I think somewhere end of last year. Yeah, I just use, it's the same concept, but just a different uh, video. So basically, uh, there's three objects, the very big rock, small pebble and the blue color thing which can be represented as a sand right so basically if you put the sand first which is represented by the very small things and you put the pebble it's very hard to put the most important thing which is the big rock but if you choose to put first thing first which is the big rock represented by the most important things in life then the other things will be filled up more easily so basically i mean the analogy here is that you put first thing first the other things will fall into place. Putting first things first. So I, I'm going to share with you two quotes from C.S. Lewis. I think it's in your slide if I'm not wrong. I can't remember. Uh, so maybe let's read it together. Uh, three, two, one. To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In so far as I learned to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. So when you put God first, second things are actually increased. When you do it the opposite way, everything goes haywire. And the second quote here, I'll read it for you all, but C.S. Lewis also, put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you, you lose both first and second things. So basically, it's, it's the same point. La. It's the emphasis that we need to put uh, first things first. So I just want to give you all some, some questions for us to think about. There are actually more and more, more, more questions that you can ask yourself to examine how our life has been. Do we, do we prioritize growing in our relationship with God? So you will notice here that I didn't say, do you prioritize reading the Word of God? Though that, yes, that's important. But the bigger idea here, the bigger picture here, is that do you want to grow in your relationship with God? Because you can read the Bible, but not grow because you're reading a Bible for reading's sake. So the bigger picture here is that are we wanting to grow in our relationship with God? What are we putting in place to emphasize that I want to grow in my relationship uh, with God? The second thing here is that how is your relationship with your family, close one, and loved one? So we may have, a, uh, so I may not be able to fully uh, empathize or understand. So while we may have a, family, a lot of family responsibilities, yes, we need to fulfill them. But actually, when we fulfill our family responsibility, what's our attitude towards it? Is it an attitude to want to glorify God? Or is it actually, we're actually deep inside, very worried about a lot of things? So to give you an example, um, so let's say uh, we have kids, right? 
So of course it's important that we want to take care of our kids, you know, send them for tuition, enrichment classes. But in the midst of doing all of this, we may have forgotten our primary role. So our primary role as parents is to grow our kids in the way of the Lord. So if you actually put these first things first, that I want to grow my kids in the way of the Lord, then other things will fall in place, like your tuition, enrichment classes, the other uh, so-called second things. But actually, sometimes it's the reverse. We put all the other things first, our tuition, enrichment class, kids very stressed, then leave to the Sunday school teachers to do the first thing. So that's an analogy about putting uh, first things first. Or maybe we talk about family. Do we spend time praying for our family? So I'm not saying that we neglect our family responsibility, but it's what attitude do we take toward our family responsibility? What uh, kind of uh, mindset do we take? Do we take an attitude of wanting to glorify God and help them grow uh, towards the Lord? And the third thing is serving the body of Christ. Uh, so I know it's very easy to say, okay, you just serve here, you serve there. If you're not serving, just serve, serve, serve. So I'm not saying that we don't serve. I think it's very important to serve uh, in the body of Christ. But I want to challenge you all even more. Because serving in church is... Okay, I mean, let me paraphrase this. I mean, not that, it's hard, not that it's easy, but it's easier than what I'm going to encourage you all to do. Because serving in church is easy because, okay, I come on an allocated time. I know that if I accomplish a certain task, I feel very fulfilled. It's like I can do a checklist. Okay, I've attended this meeting. I've served on Sunday. It's something that is very tangible that I can count. I can say that I serve as an usher once a month. It's very tangible, very easy. Or I attend Bible study classes. I teach Bible study classes. It's very easy. It's very tangible. It's the results are measurable. But I want to challenge you even more to love people well. So love people well is not a measurable thing. I cannot say, how do you measure? Like, I love this person one time a week. I mean, you cannot really measure <laughs> loving people well. But actually, in fact, that's the main aim of, of all our ministry. Uh, all our ministry is basically to love people well and to build them up towards Christ. So let me clarify, I cannot say you don't serve, but I want to take you even deeper uh, to love people. But actually, loving people is the most, one of the challenging thing because it takes a long time it's very hard and you cannot measure. And then when people ask you, are you serving? You cannot say, oh, I serve in the ministry of loving people. I mean, people don't think about that. Though that should be the undergird for all that we do. So I want to challenge you all because I assume that most of you are in your cell groups. So please continue serving wherever you are. I'm not saying don't serve. Huh? Okay, please continue serving. If not, the leaders will can't kill me. But I want to challenge you all to love the people that surround you. In fact, I think that that's a more powerful testimony to love the people in your cell group. I'm not sure whether your cell groups are doing class meeting. I hope some of you are. Even if you are not, you can still love your people. And loving your people is very simple. Okay, okay, let me correct. It's not simple. <laughs> Paraphrase. But it all starts uh, from you. You can you can complain, ah, my cell group not good la, this one not good la, everything not good la. It's very easy to complain and grumble. Yes, maybe the situation is very tough, but you can start from us today. How do you want to love your cell members? Do you want to keep them in your prayer? Do you want to maybe call them? Maybe sometimes you all want to use WhatsApp, cannot. But basically, offer your availability 
your cellmate, it can be through prayer or through meeting up with them. So though it's not tangible, it's actually a very powerful uh, testimony. So I just want to encourage you all, of course, please serve in church, but serving is more than organized event, more than organized and structured serving. It's beyond that. It's about loving people well and building them up towards Christ. So I just give you some time to reflect. Uh, I'm going to give you all uh, the next five minutes to reflect on your own. I just need Amy, help me click the button. It's basically uh, audio music. Uh, to give you some time to reflect on your own. I'm not going to ask your question. But I'm going to give you all the next five minutes to do your own reflection. What is one or two main takeaways that you take today that you want to commit to the Lord? Okay, let's pray. Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you a lot for this fellowship that we have here. We thank you a lot that indeed you are the one that we should prioritize, that we should put you first in everything that you do. We should put you in the center of our whole lives, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we may have shared away. Forgive us for the times we may have delayed obeying you. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us afresh today onwards, that you will soften our hearts. Help us, Lord, to really have the fear of the Lord with us, to lead us to obey you, and praying, Lord, that your presence will go with us and stir us up into action, Lord. Pray for a good night rest and for a safe trip back as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you so much. So maybe just help me uh, stack up the chairs at the back and also uh, help me put the tables at the side as well. Okay? Thank you so much.